podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother, Jeremy J. N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, any place. Get at your boys. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Metz. Today we are recapping a... I really don't know how to describe that win against the Providence Friars for the Kansas Jayhawks. But hey, they got a win. They moved ahead. They are facing the Miami Hurricanes in the Elite Eight um, You know, for the opportunity to go to the Final Four as the last remaining one seat in the NCAA Tournament. Um, something that I don't think that we were quite prepared for to help me break all of this down and to get us ready for the game that is happening on Sunday afternoon. It is Brendan Dwarzynski, uh, host of uh, 580 Sports Talk over on WIBWFM in Topeka. And of course, one of our analysts here at Blue Wings Rising. Brendan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Andy. Yeah, joining you here live from uh, the underside of the United Center in the uh, beautiful city of Broad Shoulders, Chicago, Illinois. But uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. It wasn't wasn't exactly a pretty game on Friday night, but you know, the the old cliche, survive in advance. And that's what KU does. And that means we get to talk one more time going into the Elite Eight. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and hopefully it's not just one more time. Like hopefully we get, we get multiple more times to be talking about this team because, uh, I'm really hoping that this team can make the run all the way. Um, you know, it seems like the path is trying to open up as much as possible, uh, for the Jayhawks with all the other number one seeds going down. Let's, let's actually start there because were you surprised by the fact that both Gonzaga and Arizona lost in the Sweet 16 to the teams they lost to? You know, it's it's funny you bring that up because I remember picking my my bracket for this year and thinking, okay, there's no way that all the one seeds make it because it's only happened one time, as we know, 2008. And th- there's no way that happens again. So I, I picked Baylor was going to be the team that got knocked out earlier. I, I thought their injuries were going to be a big factor. And obviously they ran into a North Carolina team that is playing out of their minds right now. So I wasn't surprised there. Arizona, you know, they, they didn't end up getting a, a great matchup in Houston. That's tough. Gonzaga, that was the one that really surprised me there because I really thought, you know, I figured they were going to get a good test from uh, from Memphis because Memphis has so many athletes, and when they are good, they can be really damn good. Now, they just weren't for a large portion of this season. Um, so I figured once they got past that game, they'd be able to get through, and then, of course, they ran into the must bus. So I am a little bit surprised, and it's been 11 years since the last time no one seeds made it to the Final Four. That was the ill-fated 2011 year, which obviously KU fans know all too well. But I guess I'm a little, not surprised that somebody got knocked out early, but I am a little bit surprised that so many ended up not making it to this juncture. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of funny because I was not shocked by any of them individually other than Gonzaga. Like, I, I honestly thought it was going to be Gonzaga and Texas Tech, you know, go, for a chance to go to the Final Four. Um, and, and, of course, we know that that didn't happen in, in either scenario. Um, I was not shocked by Baylor, like you said, because I actually had been kind of on the, hey, North Carolina um, is going to give them a game, a, a good chance that they could actually win that game. And I fully expected UCLA to, to you know, finish them off if they got past North Carolina. Um, 
you know, and like I obviously was super shocked by the whole Kentucky thing, but for the most part, like things have played out the way that I kind of expected them. I thought Houston was probably a better team than Arizona, and they really showed that. Um, so I was kind of keeping an eye on that one as as a potential. Yeah, me too. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where uh, you know, I'm. I, I was shocked by how much chaos there is. And obviously like St. Peter's, you know, making it to the elite eight is a gigantic story. Um, kind of overshadowing the fact that Arkansas, you know, beat Gonzaga. Um, because I, I don't think anything that happened, you know, other than maybe Duke making it to the elite eight and Kansas getting past Providence. Like it's really hard to say that anything else that's happened in the sweet 16 was what people realistically expected. And, and that's, I mean, the the beauty of this, and also the the beauty of doing you know podcasting from NCAA tournament events. The uh, the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, just walked by. Oh. Um, just, just had to say, a quick <laughs> I was wondering him, who that was. <laughs> yeah, you walk. I mean, when when Brian Haney walks by, you got to say hello. Of course. Um, but I mean, this is to a degree. You know, the, this second weekend is always. I, I think in the public sphere, you get very different, like just fan views of how this should unfold. Some people want upsets all the way through. They just want as many upsets as possible. They truly want madness. And then you end up with a team like St. Peter's that is on the greatest Cinderella run of all time to this point, first ever 15 to make to the elite eight, as you were mentioning, then you end up also with the people who want, okay, I want early upsets, like first round, even second round, like, yeah, give me all those. But I, I want chalk when we get to the second weekend, you know, I want, one seeds. I want two seeds. I, I want all that. So I think you kind of got a good mix here where you end up with, okay, we, we've got Duke and North Carolina and of course, Kansas who are making it to this point. Then you end up with the teams that were good, but maybe somewhat unheralded the Arkansas, the Houston's, and then you end up with St. Peter's too. I actually love the way this unfolded to get to this elite eight with the teams that made it up until this point. And obviously on Saturday night, we had a couple teams get eliminated. We have final four contenders as well now, and we'll find out KU uh, on Sunday night as well. Same with the uh, the East bracket. But I, mean, I, I just love the way this unfolded. I think we got a really nice mix of teams in here, a really nice mix of storylines and completely unpredictable. And it sort of splits the difference between those two factions. I was talking about the, I want all upsets all the time. I want chalk the later into the tournament we get. We kind of got to split the difference there. And uh, this is the rare occasion where that's actually a good thing. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's always, I want to see a ton of upsets in the first weekend because that's the fun of the first weekend, right? And then the second weekend, I don't necessarily root for, you know, the the underdogs or root for the actual favorites there. I'm rooting for good games. And I think we've gotten a lot of great games. Like that Arkansas-Gonzaga game was a fantastic game to watch. Duke-Texas Tech was a great game to watch, even though I would have preferred Texas Tech to win that game. Um, you know, I thought that the, again, I thought the Houston-Arizona uh, game was great. And Villanova against, oh my gosh, I completely forgot who they actually played. I, I really... Michigan. Yeah, there we go. I thought that was a good game. Like, I definitely didn't want Michigan to win, so I was happy that Villanova pulled that one off. But, like, I mean, I thought that that was a good game to watch. It was enjoyable, even though it took a backseat to Duke-Texas Tech at the same time. Um, You know, and then the games that we had on Friday night were a lot of fun to watch as well. Highlighted, obviously, by that St. Peter's game. Um, But the fact that, you know, Kansas played a really tough game against Providence, and, and we'll talk about that one here in just a second. Um, but then the other two games in the evening, UCLA, North Carolina was fantastic. Like the only game that you could potentially complain about was Iowa state and Miami because Miami got on a huge run and was able to kind of, kind of push it at that point. But I, I mean, I don't think that that game was horrible to watch unless you were an Iowa state fan, unfortunately. But um, like, I thought that that was probably the 
least entertaining game, but it was still an entertaining game to watch if that was the one you were watching. So I think we've gotten pretty much everything that we could have asked for in this particular tournament. Like you said, there's still underdogs to root for. There is still a, you know, a few favorites or a few really good teams. We have, you know, in Houston, if you are huge on analytics, well, you've got Houston, the number two team in Ken Palm, um, you know, who's still in the tournament as a five seed. So, you know, the, you know, <laughs> underdogs. Um, by, by uh, some people's measures. And then you've got a blue blood still left in Kansas. So, you know, there, there's a little bit of something for everybody in this tournament at this point, which is not something we usually get at this point. Half the nation is usually tuned it out because, you know, it's Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, UCLA. Like it's the, the top teams that everybody sees at this point every single year, which sometimes leads us to absolutely phenomenal, you know, games. Uh, but most of the time it's just like, oh, it's the same teams. I, I don't know that most people really care. So now there literally is something for everybody to keep rooting for. Yeah. And, and that's what, what makes this so beautiful. And, and you look at it even from a, a purely Kansas lens, you know, we went into this tournament thinking, okay, if it ends up being the top seed to win most of the games, you're going to see either Providence or Iowa in the sweet 16. That was Assume, I mean, most people really figured it was going to be Iowa who got there because they breezed their way through the Big Ten tournament. Yeah. Then you look at the bottom half of the bracket. Yeah, Wisconsin was probably overseeded, but they're still a three, so they have a reasonably easy path. Again, relatively speaking, you throw in Auburn down there potentially as well. I mean, those are the teams you're looking at. Maybe, you know, any individual person picked a specific upset here or there, but we ended up with a completely different looking draw for K. I mean, you even go to the second round. Most people were picking. San Diego State, because of how good their defense was entering the tournament, it was Ken Palm's number two ranked adjusted defense in the country. So you ended up with a much different draw for KU. And I think that's really been the beauty of this year's event. You know, if you're focusing on Jayhawk basketball specifically, well, you've truly gotten that madness. You've gotten different, unique matchups, exciting matchups for one reason or another in retrospect or looking forward. And you've had that same kind of effect all over the tournament. And it's just nice to be the last remaining number one seed because there has been carnage everywhere. And it, it would be hard to, you know, you look back at that game against Providence, for example, it'd be hard to be too upset. Like, well, I mean, this has clearly happened to everyone that all the one seeds have run into a wall sweet 16 or earlier, but Hey, it doesn't have to be pretty as long as you get by. And I, I like the fact that pretty much every team remaining has lived by that credo so far. Yeah. I mean, you kind of talked about running into a wall. I mean, that happened for the Jayhawks. Fortunately, their defensive wall was just as impressive as Providence's in this game. So, so let's go ahead and jump into it because first of all, this is a game like this is what most people talk about. You know, every year the eventual national champion has one game where it's just like, Oh my gosh, everything, you know, didn't work and you still survived. This theoretically could be that game for the Jayhawks. So the way that they played this game, but uh, you know, I think the other thing that kind of comes out, and I actually have an article going up over on Blue Wings Rising kind of talking about my takeaways from this game, and the big point from here is the fact that this Kansas defense did what I didn't know that they actually could do, right? Like, they were able to completely shut down a Providence team, and yes, Providence doesn't have a, you know, super phenomenal offense by any means, but we have not seen a Kansas performance on defense that was that impressive, um, pretty much the entire year. I mean, Providence has the 35th best offense, according to Ken Palm. So it's not a slouch. It's not, it's not like fantastic, super elite, but it's definitely better or on par with almost every Big 12 offense that we've seen this year. And we have not seen a defensive performance like that. So I thought it was absolutely phenomenal the way that the defense really stepped up, especially when Kansas's offense didn't get going the entire night. Like they sputtered from the beginning. The only quarter 
like of the game. So the only 10 minute period where Kansas scored more than 13 points was in the final, you know, the final 10 minutes of the game. Like I'm actually looking at it on Ken Palm because he breaks it out in, into quarters of the game. They scored 13 minute or 13 points in the first 10 minutes, 13 points in the second 10 minutes, 13 points in the third <laughs> 10 minutes, and then 27 in the last. Um, so like they were sputtering the entire game long. Obviously Remy Martin is the big, you know, the big scorer for the Jayhawks scoring 23, but talking about this, like, were you more impressed by the way that the defense played or more worried about the way that the offense played? More impressed for sure. And, and not to say that I don't have any concerns about the offense. You know, you and I spoke last week going into the second round about Ochai Abaji and, you know, really needing him to get going. I mean, he's, he's 12 of his last 38 from the floor. I mean, that's under 32% shooting in the last three games. And, and I trust that he's going to figure out. I trust that this offense is going to figure it out. So while there's definitely some level of concern that they haven't yet. And, you know, another guy who's been pretty much a wall, it's Christian Brown. You know, he came up with a really big basket in transition against Providence second half, you know, Jalen Wilson had the and one to put KU back on top after Providence grabbed that quick lead. And then uh, CB just a possession, maybe it was two possessions later. He had a big bucket off the window in transition too. And that forced Providence into a timeout. So he came up with a crucial bucket. They're just, haven't been very many of them. So I, I trust that the offense with the pieces they have and with the entire body of work we have over the course of the season, I do believe that's going to figure itself out. And, and Self even said that after the game uh, on Friday night. He said, look, the lid is going to come off. He said that about Ochai Abaji, but then he mentioned it again on Saturday too, that the offense is going to get going. I'm sure about that. And I'm going to ride with, with Coach Self on that one, obviously. I'm much more impressed by the defensive effort and the way this defense has continually, game after game, week after week now for going on three, four weeks, has gotten better on that side of the court progressively every single time out. And if you want to go back to, to the Ken Palm numbers, adjusted defense right now, don't look now. KU's in the top 25. KU's number 22 as of Saturday. I mean, that's the highest that KU has been all season. And I'm talking, you know, big 12 play onward. I can't recall what it was early in the season, but that's a really good mark to be. At. I mean, that is a very competitive mark to be at in this juncture of the tournament when you've got to be able to lock down. And, you know, the theme all week so far here in Chicago, because this keeps getting asked of Bill Selfing and Christian Brown mentioned it, uh, I believe Jalen Wilson and Ochai mentioned it as well. And then self answer to it too, is getting KU to play well enough defensively that they can force the other team to play poorly so that KU doesn't have to make shots to win. And that's essentially what that Providence game was to a T. And I think you can you can spin it positively or negatively. And Self's been more on the negative trend since the game ended that, hey, you play defense that well. You hold the team to that few points in a first half, and you dominate like that against Providence and still only go up by nine and only score 26 points at the half. That's not good. I mean, it should have been a much yeah. bigger lead. You can also spin it positively and say, you still went, into the break up by nine in a game where you played one of your worst offensive halves of the entire season. So uh, you can spin it either way. And, and that's why I'm more encouraged that the offense is going to figure it out. And my, I'm just so impressed by how well this defense is playing right now. And the thing to know too, Andy, is that it's not just, you know, well, the, the system is working, so to speak, because it is, and, and you trust this defensive system, but you are getting individual defensive performances that jump off the screen at you. And you think, wow, I mean, Look at Remy Martin, for example. We've known 
really his entire college career in general, but especially since he came to KU, not a defensive guy. You know, we were getting the, well, it's a liability on defense argument for, for so long. He is guarding his ass off recently. And that has been such a big part of his game and has been a huge part of why he and the team have been so successful in transition. Look at Ochai, who was just two of eight shooting the ball. Only had five points against Providence. He had four blocks. He had never had more than two in a game before. I mean, he was so active on the defensive end. So the fact that that continues to improve, well, you could argue, you know, these offensive performances have been bad, but they've gotten some decent looks offensively. They'll fall eventually. That's why I'm, I'm so much more comfortable and confident in what this defense is doing that if they need to rely on it, like they have the last two games, they can. Well, and I mean, kind of to the same point, Kansas has so many options on where they can get offense from. You don't need one particular player, right, to have be super fantastic on, on the offensive end. But you do need really good defensive play from everybody. Because if you can t- stop the other team from scoring, it doesn't matter if only one or two guys are actually getting that offense if the other team can't score enough to overcome it, which is what we saw. For a good portion of that game, you know, or a good portion of the first half, Remy was outscoring the entire team of Providence by himself. So, like... That is something that you can build on. That's something that you can really take advantage of. Kind of to your point, like the offense itself, if if you look at the Ken Palm ratings, they were sixth going in. They were sixth coming out because Providence has a good defense. Like we shouldn't pretend like Kansas has not had good offensive performances when you take into account the level of the defense that they're playing because they've been playing good defenses all year long. And so it's one of those things where, we talk about what we want to see from the offense. We we talk about all this stuff. Um, you know, Kansas was the third offense coming into the tournament. And that's dipped a little bit because they were playing defenses against, you know, like Texas Southern, where, you know, the offense didn't quite get going because guys were in a slump. But, you know, it drops down because of that, because that's just kind of the way it works. You have one, you know, game where you're not completely lights out like that, and it it dips. But they've been very consistent, right, about what they're doing. And it's not like they're getting worse because they're just getting worse. They're getting worse because the level of defense is stepping up. You talked about how they're up to 22 now. Like, we are approaching that magic, you know, that magic uh, range where, you know, I believe it was like 11 of the last 14. I'll have to double check the numbers and I'll have to put it in an article somewhere. But I believe it's 11 of the last 14 champions had a both a top Twenty offense and a top twenty defense, according to Ken Palm, um, at some point in the tournament, um, Kansas has not gotten there yet, but they're fast approaching it. You know, and so the game that they have against Miami, Miami is not a, fin- a fantastic offensive team, and we'll talk about them here in just a second. Um, so Kansas has the opportunity to have another fantastic defensive performance, which would allow them to continue to improve that ranking. You know, in addition to getting the Final Four, of course. Um, but you know, I, so I'm looking forward to what Kansas is able to do offensively to get the offense to wake up. But again, I'm not really that worried about it. Looking at the specific game, obviously Remy is the big story going off for 23 points. Um, you know, he was, uh, let me see. He had seven rebounds, three assists, uh, one block. He was all over the place. You talked about Ochai getting those four blocks. Mitch Lightfoot also had four blocks. Um, I think Jalen Wilson was probably the second guy to really talk about there with those 16 points. Again, 11 rebounds, so double-double for him. Um, one block, one steal. You know, lots of guys had big moments in that particular game. But, uh, I mean, anyone else that you think that we need to talk about or anything specifically you want to say about those guys before we move on to Miami? 
Yeah, the guy I wanted to bring up, and I'm glad you did, Jalen Wilson, it, it was a quiet double-double, so to speak, but I mean, he was just so solid over the course of the game. And again, he did not have an efficient shooting day. I mean, he had five field goals in, in double-digit attempts. He was well below 50% for the game, but he just kept making plays when KU needed them. He had 10 rebounds in the first half, and some of those were you know little ones right under the rim, but he was so active on the glass. And when KU needed a basket in the second half, after Providence took that one-point lead, the dude who put his head down, got to the basket, laid it in, got an and one, that was Jalen Wilson going into attack mode. And I think he has been so good. And, and Remy Martin deserves the praise for what he has done since the start of the Big 12 tournament into now because he has been, what, the best player in the country, among the very best players in the country. He's been unbelievable. And Remergy and Remy Marchin and all that, like, he deserves all the praise, all the credit. And I truly hope that that continues. But Jalen Wilson deserves a ton of credit, too, because that's back-to-back double-doubles now in games that were tough games that were grinders against Creighton and now against Providence as well. A couple of big East teams that were playing, you know, bigger than their size, bigger than their profile in in their respective contests. So I just wanted to make sure he got his props because I think he has been phenomenal. He was in fact asked about it on Saturday, you know, that intensity sometimes that he's always willing to attack the basket, but sometimes it looks like he just gets this second gear where he is willing to slash and thrash and do whatever it takes to get to the cup. And, and we saw it against Providence, and that's the encouraging thing to me. As long as KU continues to get opportunities, the shots are going to fall. They're end- going to end up taking advantage of that more, at least you would expect so. And if Jalen Wilson's your guy who you're trusting to, to take the ball up the court in transition or to work it underneath or to slash, whatever it might be, I have no problem trusting him right now. So I'm glad you brought him up because I thought he played maybe a quieter game than Remy Martin, certainly a quieter game than Remy Martin, but I think he's been playing – honestly, as well as anybody else. I put it in, in my write-up of the game that if you're going to give Remy the, you know, the, the Oscar for best performance for this tournament so far, best supporting actor is Jalen Wilson, and I don't think it's close. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, honestly, right now, Remy Martin and Jalen Wilson are the, you know, taking on the roles that we expected uh, Ochai Abaji and Christian Brown to play, right, where Abaji yeah. was kind of the leading guy that was really going to push it, really do a lot of the scoring, and Brown – while he was going to be a good scorer as well on his own, um, the expectation was he'd be doing all the other things. And and Brown, by the way, is, has not been really a slouch throughout any of this. He's been doing a lot of the things except for the scoring in most of these games. So it's not like he has just completely fallen off the face of the earth here. Mm-hmm. It's just that he hasn't gotten the scoring numbers, I think, that we expected. The one guy that I am worried about, and we'll tra- use this to transition into Miami because I think this is the thing that worries me the most. Um, David McCormick had a very rough game here. Uh, you know, four fouls pretty quickly. He never really seemed to get going. He had a couple big plays that, I mean, I don't think Kansas wins without what he actually contributed here, but I think everybody was expecting a whole lot more from him. We've talked, I've talked with a bunch of different people about how McCormick usually seems to step up in those games where he has a, you know, another big guy that he can kind of play off of. That he can, you know, you'll kind of use those challenges to really play the game the way he likes to play it. That didn't really happen here. Like, he had a really hard time getting going. Um, He's probably the one guy that I'm concerned about coming up here because I'm not really sure what Kansas is going to do, you know, about uh, the guy that Miami has on the other end here. Um, And I I had him pulled up here. I just got it. Oh, uh, yeah, Wardenburg. Uh, I'm concerned about Sam Wardenburg over with Miami, the really tall guy that can block shots and can do a whole lot of stuff there. Um, are you concerned about McCormick coming out of this game? Um, or do you think that he finally gets it put together here for the first time in a while? 
I will, okay, so I will start by saying yes, I, I am concerned, and I think that's completely natural. Now, I, you also mentioned that he made big plays at the end of the game, and, and that's something else that Bill Self touched on, that, hey, yeah, he, he had a bad start, but you know, it's, it's not necessarily health-related because we know the foot has really been bothering him, and, and you can see it on the court. I mean, he is laboring sometimes on that formerly broken foot. He came up with big plays at the end of the game, and that is significant. That is a major deal. That is important, and it needs to be talked about and acknowledged and needs flowers for that. Also, realistically, KU could have been up by 15-plus points in the first half going into the break, and the game maybe never would have even been in question if he could have made a couple easy right-hand bunnies right next to the rim, or if in the second half to start things off that he had been a little bit better defensively and hadn't gotten pulled in 80 seconds, the 1840 on the clock in the second half, he was already on the bench for Mitch Lightfoot. I thought Lightfoot played okay, but let's be realistic. We know that they need Dave. We know that KU needs him to step up and play well. So I, I would say, yes, I am concerned and I'm more lenient, I think, and have been over the course of the season than a lot of people have it. And he's, he was really good in the back half of big 12 play. I mean, he was as good as any big in the conference in the back of, in the back half of big 12 play. I just I need to see him get off to a better start because that has happened in a couple of games. I mean, even go back to the Texas game on senior day for KU. McCormick was the hero of that game. Second half of that game, he went absolutely crazy. Overtime, he was phenomenal. He was the best player on the court for the last 25 minutes of that game and really wasn't close, maybe last 18 to 20 minutes. But I mean, he was so good at the end of that game. Got off to a slow start in that one too. And it's just, can you put together 40 minutes? Not even 40 minutes. Can you put together 25 minutes? And it just doesn't seem like that's been there. So that's the one thing it is a full game. Or, well, I mean, you could even make an argument you need him earlier more than you do later because you're forcing teams into taking, you know, contested threes. You don't need him on the floor. And KU didn't put him on the floor at the end of the Providence game, for example. So, so I'm with you. I, I do think there's some concern. It might not be as intense for me as some folks might believe it to be. But yeah, I, I think it's natural. You see a guy who you know, continues to struggle with things that you would think he shouldn't be struggling at there's got to be some worry there. I don't know how there couldn't be. Yeah. I mean, especially in the game against Providence where Providence is a team where, you know, if they're not in the game early, um, like that, that's where they made their bones all year long, right. With sticking around in games, getting to the end of the game and just out executing their opponent. That, that was something that I actually talked about in the preview with the guy with, with Matt St. Jean from big East coast bias. And it was one of those things where it was like, you know, if Kansas can really get out to a good start, they can demoralize Providence pretty quickly. And it looked like they were on the road to do that. And then they let Providence get that run towards the end of the half. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Luckily, Kansas, being as talented as they were, were able to kind of overcome that. Miami is a completely different beast here because they are a team that throughout the year has gotten down big and come back and make, and gotten big wins. Um, and so I am definitely definitely worried about that you know the like the the first game of the of the ACC tournament against Boston College you know they were down by quite a bit made a huge run at the very end of the game and were able to win that one in overtime so like I am I am definitely worried about this particular game that you know Kansas with their with their proclivity to go you know cold from uh, on, on the offensive end to allow teams to get back into it that could be a really big problem so so looking at Miami is there a specific matchup that you're really worried about, or is there something specific other than, well, or actually even including Wardenburg there, but is, is there something specifically that you look at when you're looking at this Miami team that makes you say, 
this could be a problem because I think everybody expects Kansas to move on. I think the general expectation is that Kansas really should just be able to kind of waltz into the final four. And as we've seen with this team, they don't necessarily make anything easy for you. That's kind of the, the nature of this Kansas team, the nature of this entire tournament, let's be honest. Um, like, what are you worried about for this particular game coming up? Well, I think that the big thing that stands out, and this is somewhat Miami specific, but it's also just sort of a, a general commentary. And you alluded to this too. You've got to avoid the huge run. You know, that's what happened in the Providence game that allowed Providence to momentarily take the lead before KU got out to their own 7-0 burst and was able to, to hold on to the end. But it happened in the early part of the second half again, Miami versus Iowa State too. They just went on a run. They hit, I don't know if it was three threes in a row, might've been three or four, even three or five, but they hit a few big shots in a row. Wardenburg had a couple of big plays in the post as well. The ability for them, like you said, to just hang around and then make the big comeback and go on that run and put the pedal to the metal at the exact right time. We were sort of talking about it with the Iowa State game that they played. Eventually, they just sort of ran away with it. And KU, I think that's got to worry you when you consider, look at the game in the Sweet 16 when Providence went on this run, KU could not buy a bucket. It was a 19 to five run, I believe for Providence. So it's not necessarily matchup specific, but I think keeping them from having that big devastating run, you know, if it, it gets to six, Oh, you know, fine. That that's basketball right there, but you can't allow a, a 10 to two, 12 to two, 14 to five kind of run, because that is where KU has struggled at times this year. That is where Miami has thrived. And like you mentioned, they've had a couple of games where they have done a great job of coming from behind. So again, just to, to repeat what I already said, it's not any particular player in particular, although I know all the attention is obviously going to be on Charlie Moore because he's a hundred years old and he went to KU and I know he's going to get a lot of attention. And Jim Laranaga has been asked about him a bunch this week and him playing against Kansas again. Bill Self was asked about it on Saturday too. But more than any one particular piece, you just cannot let that machine get to full functionality. You cannot let the Death Star be completed and they can blow up, so to speak, on some sort of big run in the second half. That's the one thing that has to be prevented. And if you can do that, I do think KU can keep them at bay for the duration of the game. So to me, the two things that stand out, you've got to get Dave going early and you've got to be able to hold on and prevent the big run in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are really the keys for me as well, right? Is that they they really need to just make sure that Miami doesn't get a chance to go out running. Um, which is a little weird because Kansas is a team that likes to get out and run. And I, I honestly think that scoring in transition is something that they can go ahead and do and really kind of help them um, to to put up points against Miami. The problem is Miami is one of the few teams that they have faced this, this year that is just as comfortable playing at that same pace. And so this might be a scenario where you actually want to slow it down, even though Kansas offensively plays their best when they're out and running. Um, you don't really want Miami to get that kind of momentum. So I, I, I'm a little torn on what it is they want to do. I'll be interested to see how Bill Self actually decides to play this game. Um, you know, what their game plan is going to be, whether they try to get up and down early. It might just be a thing where you just expect your team to outperform. You're, you expect your team to outshoot them and you just let them go. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw, you know, a 95 to 82 win for the Jayhawks or something like that because Kansas just goes ballistic and Miami says, okay, let's do it. And they just go and run up and down the court the entire game long. I would love to see that because I think it would be entertaining. But I know it would also be super stressful, the fact that, hey, this defense really needs to pick it up and they pick the worst time to let a team like Miami just go crazy. Um, But, you know, it, it's one of those things, again, you just want to make sure that you win. 
Um, Kansas does need to find a way, though, I think, to get shooters going in this game. Miami is not a phenomenal defensive team. Um, I actually had their profile pulled up, and, of course, I got out of it. Uh, yeah, they're one of the lowest-ranked teams yeah, there we from go. the Sweet 16 group defensively, according to Ken Palm's adjusted defense. I mean, they're in the, the bottom three, I believe. Yeah. They were one of the few teams that was lower than Providence. Yeah, they're, they're 114th defensively, so Kansas should not have any problems with scoring in this game. Um, so they, they better get it together, is re- I guess really what I'm saying here. Um, but you need to get guys like Christian Brown going. You really need to get Ochai going because going into to, to the Final Four, like you're either facing a Villanova team that a bunch of Kansas fans are going to have flashbacks or you're facing a Houston team, which is the only team that's actually rated better than Kansas by Ken Palm. So like you're going to have a super tough matchup regardless. Um, so they've got to get some momentum, I think. I think, I mean, I, I definitely think that they can they can work in the off of the week to, to kind of get there if they don't get it, but you don't want to get yourself into a situation where all the, the only thing everyone's talking about all week long is what the heck is happening with Kansas offense. They don't need that kind of negativity around the program. They don't need those you know storylines to be the only thing that they're hearing all of next week. So have a good offensive performance here. So everyone can talk about, Hey, it looks like they finally have it together. You know, I'm sure that Bill Self can keep them all motivated if everyone's talking about how great they are because, you know, they've they've seen some tough losses this year. I know that Bill Self can do it. Like this is this is a team though that I think needs that shot in the arm so that they are gonna be super confident going into next week because like everything's opened up for them. They need to go win a title this year. No pressure or anything, but they need to go win the title this year. Come on. Well and this matchup specifically you can't afford to be timid in a game like this. And that's something that did stand out to me, especially in the first half of that game. You know, second half, it couldn't make a shot. Just couldn't buy a book. It couldn't use any cliche you want. Couldn't throw it in the ocean from the side of the boat. The first half though, it just looked like a very timid team. It just looked, you know, Brown wasn't shooting the ball with the, the quickness. And that's been an issue for him in the past. I mean, that was essentially his entire sophomore year was playing timidly on the perimeter. So I think you just need to come out, and be willing to fire in this game, whether you're in the post, whether you're one of the guys in the perimeter, Ochai, CB, whoever it ends up being. I'm right there with you. I think getting those guys going is going to be huge and just avoiding timidness. That's going to be the the number one thing for me. And I think if KU is able to do that, I don't, I mean, I don't want to give no credit to, to Miami or their defense because I do think they've been playing well and the, so to speak, havoc that they've been able to create, I think has been good. It has worked out very well for them. I think KU should be able to manage it, but you've got to be willing to be a little risky, essentially, to go make plays. You know, if you get out to a 10-point lead in the second half, you don't have to go nuts, go crazy, do something ridiculous, or, or you know, completely forget your coaching. But I think this is the kind of game where you want to early on try to set the tone and let it fly. And they've got the pieces to do it. They've just got to be willing to actually do it. Yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to. Like, they've got to be willing to jump out and do everything that they need to do to get there. So, all right. Well, Brendan, I think we went a little bit longer than I was anticipating. So let's go ahead and get out of here before we, uh, you know, stretch into the actual Saturday night games that are going so I can actually get this posted so people can listen to it. But um, before we go, though, any other final thoughts, any kind of like final thing you want to wrap up with? Last thing, it just... The offense is going to get it going. Okay. I, I truly honestly do believe that it's all about defensive intensity from this point. If you can keep getting the great individual performances, like you saw from Abaji in the Sweet 16, like you I, I truly saw from Remy Martin in the Sweet 16, the way he has been hounding dudes. If you can continue to get those individual performances that click so well, that's going to open things up for the offense. I'm not worried long term about that. 
got to keep up the defensive intensity. And, and we know Bill Self's going to be on them about that. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'll just kind of wrap up with the exact same thing. Like this is Bill Self. He builds his teams on defense. And the fact that the defense is finally coming around to the way that he wants them to be playing is got to be the greatest, the, the greatest comfort to Kansas fans, right? They are finally playing the kind of defense that Bill Self preaches all year long. They have tons of talented guys. Um, Remy Martin has completely taken, he's make a, he's made a very, very strong case to be, you know, most outstanding player of the tournament, especially if Kansas gets all the way to the title game. So, yeah. um, like this is, this is literally what you want your team doing in March if they're going to win another title for, for, for Bill Self in Kansas. So, um, yeah, this is, I mean, Kansas is right where they want to be. Yes, we want some offensive players to get going, but we have a bunch of guys that we know can bring the offense. They just haven't necessarily done it, but Kansas have found ways to advance every single time. So, um, you know, I fully expect that we'll be talking again next week as Kansas in the final four. Um, and so let's go out there. Everyone enjoy the game. You know, um, it's look, you can be as stressed as you want, but have the belief that Kansas is going to win because you know, they, they are going to win. I will, I will uh, eat that if it actually doesn't happen because I am super confident in this game. I'm going to be super nervous while the game is going on, but I am super confident that they will actually go ahead and pull out the win. So, all right, Brandon, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please to go out wh- wherever you get your podcasts, first Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the million apps that are out there. Just search for rock chalk podcast. You can subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out rating and a review. Five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. If for whatever reason you can't do that, just let let us know what it is we can do better. Really do bring the podcast so you guys get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people want to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Look, I want your guys' voicemails. I want your guys' reactions to this game, to what's going on in the tournament. So go on out to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. I will post the link in the show notes here. Uh, actually, I think it's already out there. I will post a link over on Twitter for that as well. I want to hear from you guys. Leave us that voicemail. I promise we'll get you on the show. Um, and super enjoying the, the the time that we have here with the, being on the 1012 Network. Tons of great podcasts, including a Houston one that theoretically we'll be doing a crossover with for the Final Four. At least I'm hoping here. Um, but uh, yeah, make sure you guys visit our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Promo code CHOCK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. But that's going to do it. Brandon, thank you for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 Podcast and subscribe today.